0: bride the lamb's wife part three but I'm going to go back and read beginning in verse nine so we can make sure we have our context these are verses we've covered in previous weeks nine through twelve and then we're going to pick it up in thirteen but I'm going to start in verse nine then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying come I will show you The bride, the lamb's wife. We talked about this is the the city of the new Jerusalem where we will be dwelling for all eternity. We talked about the fact that, uh, you know, the city is named after us, the bride of Christ. The bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, which is pretty interesting. We talked last time about the fact that two-thirds of American churches have embraced replacement theology, which means they believe that God no longer has any plan or purpose for Israel. Well, that's rather strange considering we're going to have the names of the 12 tribes on the gates, isn't it? God certainly still has a plan for Israel. And as I've told you many times, the entire focal point of the tribulation is twofold it's to judge a wicked, unbelieving world, and it's to restore Israel and bring them to faith in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now we pick it up here, verse 13. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And we'll get into that briefly. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Let's pray. Father, as we look at some more information regarding the bride, the lamb's wife, the new Jerusalem, our eternal dwelling place, we ask you to continue to give us insight and understanding so that we can be even better prepared uh, for our heavenly, holy, eternal citizenship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that there will be three gates on each side of the city, three gates east, three gates north, three gates south, three gates west, and this corresponds with Ezekiel's temple. Now, we studied the book of Ezekiel here several years ago, for those of you that might have been with us at that time, it was quite an interesting study, long study, but The temple that will be rebuilt at the beginning of the millennium, and by the way, all the pieces are already in place. Do you know that? The uh, Temple Institute in the old city of Jerusalem, which I've visited several times, they've been dedicated for the last, I don't know how long, at least 40, 50 years, of getting all the elements ready for the new temple. And they even have the, the temple walls and everything prefabricated and stored in warehouses ready to be erected at the proper time. They are totally dedicated to seeing that temple rebuilt. On the Temple Mount, right now, the Dome of the Rock Mosque sits on the very site where the temple should be. And so God's going to have to do something about that. (laughs) But, something we need to understand, that that tribulation temple that will be rebuilt at the beginning... That is not God's doing. That's man's doing. And actually, some have referred to that as the temple of the Antichrist because we know halfway through the tribulation, he's going to march in there and declare himself to be God. Remember, they're going to have his image in there, maybe a holographic image. We don't know exactly what kind. It could be, at this point, it could be any number of things. But that's really not God's temple. That temple will be the temple of the Antichrist. But then when Christ returns at the beginning of the millennium, another temple will be built, and that will be God's temple, the temple of our Messiah. That's the one that Ezekiel describes here in Ezekiel 48. And that's the one that we're reading about here in Revelation. Well, actually, Ezekiel's temple will be an earthly representation of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. But let me read to you from Ezekiel 48, 32 through 34. And it basically just tells us what the names are that'll be on these gates. Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan are on the east, Reuben, Judah, and Levi on the north, Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun are on the south. Gad, Asher, and Naphtali are on the west. So Ezekiel, at the end of his book, is giving us the layout for the millennial city and temple, which is the forerunner of the New Jerusalem. So verse 14 the wall of the city had twelve foundations. So we have, remember we talked last time about the, the t- number twelve? So we have twelve gates and twelve foundations, one on each corner, with two in between on each of the four sides. 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So, again, we see the 24 elders earlier on in the book of Revelation. I believe that that's the 12 Old Testament patriarchs and the 12 New Testament apostles. And we see them represented here as well. We see the two elements or aspects of God's eternal kingdom. We have God's chosen people, Israel, the apple of his eye, they will always hold that distinction, but then we have our own distinction as the New Testament church, the Ecclesia, in the Greek, the called out ones, the body of Christ. And so even as the gates represent the 12 tribes of Israel, that's your Old Testament saints, the 12 foundations represent the 12 apostles, the New Testament saints, and so the old covenant under the Mosaic law was the gateway to a relationship with Jehovah God, but the firm foundation upon which our faith rests is the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 4, the gospel of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew five seventeen, do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill If you embrace a replacement theology, then basically you're in disagreement with Jesus because he said, I didn't come to destroy it, I came to fulfill it. And so the separate functions of the 12 tribes, 12 gates, the 12 apostles, the 12 foundations, another confirmation of their continued distinction, like I just said, bride of Christ, verses in the Gospels where it refers to the friend of the bridegroom, Many consider that to be the Old Testament saints. We have the bride of Christ and the friend of the bridegroom. We will not be superior to these Old Testament saints, just different. We're both special. They're God's chosen people, the apple of God's eye. We're the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ. And if we don't fully understand that now, we will when we see him, won't we? All right, verse 15. He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Now, ancient measuring rods or reeds were about 10 feet long. So, this is a 10 foot stick of gold. Very high priced yardstick. But it's nothing to God, right? So, the city is laid out, verse 16, as a square means it's equal on all sides. Its length is as great as its breadth. And what we will find out here in a moment, also its height. So its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. I'll give you those measurements in a moment. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So basically what's being described here, folks, is a cube an ancient symbol of perfection, by the way, the most holy place in the Old Testament tabernacle and in the temple were cubic in design. And so we're told in the book of Hebrews all these things were just earthly representations of what exists in heaven. 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles, which is about the distance I drove going and coming I drove to Little Rock rather than fly. I'm not real fond of flying these days. But the New Jerusalem will occupy an area roughly equal to the eastern half of the United States from the Mississippi River to the east coast and from Canada's border on the north all the way to the Gulf of Mexico on the south. That's how big that city will be of the New Jerusalem. Not to mention, it's also going to be 1,500 miles high. The birds had a song back in the 60s, Eight Miles High. Yeah, they they had no idea what's ahead for believers. And Roger McGuinn, the lead singer for that group, is a believer, has been for many years. He's going to be living a lot more than eight miles high. The CN Tower in Toronto, Canada at a height of 1,815 feet is the world's tallest building, 1,815 feet. The tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest at 29,029 feet. 1,500 miles, which will be the width, breadth, you know, depth of the New Jerusalem, that equates to, this, this is going to blow your mind, blows my mind, feet. That's 273 times higher than Mount Everest. They say everything's bigger in Texas. God's got them beat. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think that my wife was kind of disappointed when we saw the translation of the bible i think it was the niv yeah that says john 14:2. In my father's house are many rooms rather than mansions like the king james version it can also be translated dwelling places in my father's house are many rooms if we were not so i would have told you i'm going there to prepare a place for you well dr henry morris he's with the lord now but he founded the institute for creation research and have you ever heard of dr henry morris great guy A lot of great. I have a Henry Morris Bible, actually, which is pretty cool. But he mathematically calculated that 20 billion people could live in this space, with one cubic mile each. That's one third of a mile wide, high, and long. Is that enough living space for you? And others have have calculated that even if only 25 percent of this space were used for dwellings, 20 billion people could be accommodated. Spaciously, There are some who actually believe the earth's population at the time of Noah's flood was roughly equal to what we have today. So if we go down, now most of those people aren't going to be in the New Jerusalem because they rejected God and they died in the flood. But over the course of human history, it would be interesting to know, are there 20 billion people that are going to be living there? But there's certainly that much room And if God had his way, there would be at least that many because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should have eternal life. But that ought to cheer you up, those of you that may have read that translation, in my father's house are many rooms. I think we could probably handle a third of a mile in each direction for our own space. Talk about a luxury loft. Talk about that acreage you've always wanted. I think most people have that little that hidden dream of they'd love to have some acreage, you know room to roam, spread out so forth you're going to have it in the New Jerusalem And the New Jerusalem when God says go to your room it's not a punishment <laughs> thank you Lord, yes I will <laughs> and this is possibly what Paul had in mind when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9 as it is written Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. If you've seen any of the popular sci-fi movies like Star Trek and Star Wars and so forth, you begin to get some kind of an idea of what our eternal dwelling place is going to look like. But again, it goes even beyond what eye has seen, ear has heard, or has entered into the heart of man. Amazing. Amazing. So then, the the angel is the one doing all these measurements and then calling them out to John. So then he measured its wall. This is the angel with the golden golden measuring rod uh, from verse 15. And the wall is 144 cubits. Now notice again, 12 times 12 is 144, right? Remember all the 12s. This would be, 144 cubits would be about 216 feet thick across almost four times the size of our sanctuary. That's the width of the wall. Now, you've probably seen some depictions of those ancient walls where they would actually hold chariot races on top of the wall. This even surpasses that. 216 feet thick. Some have said that a wall this size wouldn't support a city 1,500 feet high, but I think God knows more about architecture than we do, wouldn't you say? So 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. Some have said that all these dimensions, 1,500 miles high, wide, and long, 216 feet thick, are not to be taken literally, but it seems to me God's gone out of his way a golden measuring rod, man's measurement, to let us know that these dimensions are to be taken literally. And when we look at the vastness of this universe, which we're discovering more and more every day, it doesn't seem too hard to believe to me. He wants us, his kids, to know that he's preparing for us that awesome home that awaits us that Jesus spoke of. So verse 18, the construction of its wall was jasper. Jasper is a transparent gem which allows the full light of God's glory to shine through. We've already looked at the fact that there won't be any electricity, any you know, artificial lighting, or even for the sun or the moon, because the Lord God himself will be our light. And so by constructing the wall of jasper, it allows the light of God to shine through in the eternal holy city, nothing will be hidden, for there'll be nothing to hide. And you got to think, you got to wonder, and you know, we'll get to that part a little later on here in chapter 22 where it the, the talks about the dogs outside the gate and so forth, that those who are, are eternally excluded from the new Jerusalem, those who are in eternal torment and punishment, but will they see that light emanating from the Holy City, will that be another part of their torment to see that light emanating from the Holy City and to know that they'll never be a part of it? That could be pretty torturing. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm also known. And so these things at this point, God's given us enough information so that we can get excited about this and be in anticipation of it, but we won't fully understand it until we see him face to face. The city was pure gold. In case you didn't know, our father is extremely wealthy. We've all seen pictures of golden palaces, haven't we? Many state capitals have gold domes, even some churches, but an entire city of gold apparently with a translucent quality to it. It's just about beyond our comprehension. And as we look at the incredible materials used in the construction of our eternal home, we can see more clearly why Jesus said in Matthew 6:19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So even though we're planted here on this earth right now, God wants our hearts to be in heaven, where we're going to be spending eternity. And when I say the heaven, I mean literally the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven when you think about it, we think about laying up treasures. Well, hopefully I'm doing the right things for the right reasons and I'm going to get my rewards and all. But let me say this, just to be there, just to be in the... That's treasure in and of itself. We're going to be living in a city of gold. Those are things that people have pursued for thousands of years. The conquistadors, right? South America, Central America, North America... Searching for gold, searching for, you know, all those things, those treasures. Not realizing that those are all temporary, but we have an eternal treasure waiting for us in God's eternal kingdom. God knows our hearts. He wants our hearts to be in heaven, right? You've heard that expression, home is where the heart is? And I tell you what, the, the more things are in turmoil around us, I think the easier it's becoming to focus on that, don't you? And that's what God wants for us. Particularly those of us who live in what has been the greatest nation in the world. And by the way, I wanted to point this out after the video, I forgot. One of the things I learned at this conference, I knew a good amount, but there's always more to learn. One of the reasons that the pastors were so fired up is because the King of England was trying to make the Church of England which in America is called the Episcopalian Church, it's in England, it's the Church of England. The Church of England split off from the Catholic Church when Henry VIII wanted to get divorced and they wouldn't let him. So they started their own version. So you'll find the Church of England is very similar to the Catholic Church, except their priests are allowed to get married. Well, in America, during the Revolutionary War times, There were multiple denominations. That's why the pilgrims came to practice freedom of religion, right? And so there were Lutherans, there were Presbyterians, there were Baptists, you name it. And they were all having their worship services without harassment. Well, the King of England wanted to force everybody to become part of the Church of England, which was the very reason that the pilgrims came in the first place and the early settlers was to get away from tyranny over the church do you think we might have some tyranny over the church today i do so home is where the heart is god wants our hearts to be in heaven there's there's an old saying oh he's so heavenly minded he's no earthly good he's got his head in the clouds but god wants our hearts to be in heaven and that will impact the way we live what we believe what we think here on earth that we are looking towards eternity, but we realize God has us here for a reason. He has us here for a purpose. And we're to avail ourselves of that purpose, to make ourselves available to Him. Pastor Chuck Smith said once, I heard him say this, I'm sure he probably said it more than once. He said, every morning when I get up, I'm in the shower and I tell the Lord that I am available for Him today. I am restfully available. He can do whatever He wants with me. He had His plan for the day, but it's always subject to To God's plan. And I think that's how God wants us all to be. So we can waste a whole lifetime working for things that we can't take with us. And certainly a lot of people do that. Like I told you before, back in the Jesus movement days when we were all running around in uh, blue jean overalls and sneakers and long hair and stuff like that. Living a life of uh, poverty. (laughs) hamburger helper and Kraft's macaroni and cheese. But we were we were totally happy, thrilled, joyful just to be serving God. We used to say, it's okay, man, it's all going to burn. And you know what? It's true. It's absolutely true. Or we have a choice. We can work towards things that we get to keep forever, and we're getting a glimpse of those things in this section of Revelation. Amazing, incredible, beyond our Wildest dreams. So next week, we're going to continue to look at what I call the real city different. The new Jerusalem. Let's stand. Before I pray, I'd like to just ask for a show of hands. Anyone has a prayer request this morning? For yourself or someone else? We'd like to lift those up to the Lord now. And we thank you, Father, that your word tells us that whenever two or more agree as touching anything, that you will hear that prayer. And if we ask anything of you, Father, in your Son's name, that you would hear that prayer. So we now come confidently, boldly, before your throne of grace. You're a good God. You're a loving God. You're a merciful God. You're a gracious God. And Father, we want to lift these requests up to you now. We agree together, Lord. I'm sure every one of us in this room are in agreement that anyone struggling right now with a physical illness, an ailment of any kind, that you would pour out your healing upon them, Father. Lord, whether it's a cold or a flu or COVID-19 or cancer, whatever it is, Father, you are the great physician. And Lord, we know that these bodies will eventually wear out one way or another, but Lord, our desire is to have the health and strength that we need to minister to our families, our friends, and Lord, most of all, to serve you, Lord, to be available, just like we talked about, to be available to you, Lord, that we have our full physical, mental, emotional capacities. So we pray for healing, Lord. And there's people right now that have raised their hand and they know exactly what kind of a health issue they're dealing with or their friends or family members are dealing with. We lift all those up to you now in Jesus' name. We pray for wisdom and guidance, Lord, because we know that you do help us To figure things out to what's going on sometimes in our bodies and things that we need to do or not do to to improve our health so we ask that you would help us to be good stewards over these bodies that you've given us we do pray for healing lord in jesus name lord we lift up those with mental and emotional issues for anxiety for stress for worry for fear for doubt all the things that people struggle with we lift them up to you and we pray lord that you would impart to each one your peace that passes all understanding. You did promise us that, Lord. You said, peace give I to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. So help us to receive that peace, that rest, to embrace it, to receive all that you have for us, Lord, because your desire is that we would be at peace, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, Lord, we can have peace and joy. And Lord, that's something I'm concerned that so many believers are lacking in is that joy that comes from living the spirit-filled life. I pray that you'd pour your joy out upon your people here today. Father, for uh, financial issues, we're living in perilous times. Economically, things are getting worse. Lord, we have to keep our eyes on you. Remember that you're our provider. Help us to do that. And we pray that you would provide Lord, even as costs are rising for food, for gas, all the essentials, Lord, we ask that you would continue to be our provision. And, uh, Lord, we trust you, we believe in you to, to fill the gap, to make up the difference somehow, Lord, to provide for your people. And even to the degree that we would in turn be able to help others. And then finally, Lord, I pray for relationships that may be broken or damaged. Pray for healing and marriages and friendships Work relationships in the workplace, neighborhood. Lord, we know that you told us as much as is possible that we're to be at peace with all men, that we are to be peacemakers. Lord, sometimes it's not possible because the other person isn't willing, but help us to do our very best. And we pray whenever and however possible that relationships could be repaired, and especially, especially marriage relationships, relationships between parents and children. Lord, we pray for healing and we thank you that you care about these things and that we can trust you to hear our prayers. We lift these things up to you now in Jesus' name. And we pray that you would receive now our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.